What is up, Internet? Welcome to Self-Defense from All Angles Season 2. This week, we have a part one of a two-part episode. This is the episode I've been teasing for a while. This is the episode where we have the retired drug dealer come on and talk about the drug trade and violence in it and things to know and things to understand and how the business works. There's a bunch of awesome information on a part of the world or a part of life that a lot of people don't get to talk about. So normally these episodes are 30 minutes. This talk went like an hour and a half, I think almost two hours. And so I'm going to break this up into two separate pieces. I'll find like a natural ending point. This episode was so fun. There was so much, so many things covered. You know what? Just listen to the episode. Don't worry about the thing. I just highly recommend you spend some time here. This is episode part one of this episode. And then part two will be coming out next week. The also... Really cool part is over on patreon.com slash Randy King Live. He gave us two separate stories. So for both parts, we will have a separate story for each on the bonus content. I highly recommend you go check out the bonus content. Ton of stuff on there, full presentations, etc. Patreon.com slash Randy King Live. And uh, yeah, don't forget, if you're looking to bring somebody in to talk about proactive self-defense, all the things that lead up to a fight, conflict communication, boundary setting, workplace violence, threat detection, uh, speak up self-defense, any one of those things, if you want me to come to you, just get a hold of me any way you can, any social media works, or jump over to the website, www.randykinglive.com, and you can see all our offerings and everything we give out there, including corporate lunch and learns. Let's get to part one of this show. What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode four of Self-Defense from All Angles, season two. This week, we have on the show a guest I've been very excited to talk with. We have been hinting at him for such a long time that he was going to be on the show. We were going to start talking about some things that aren't normally talked about on Self-Defense podcasts. On the show today, is Jack is a former drug dealer, and he's here to share some of his experiences with all of you. What's going on, Jack? Uh, not much. How are you? Doing well, as always. So, mm -hmm. number one, thanks for being on the show. I really want to use this platform to talk about things that most of the karate, kick, punch, choke schools don't talk about. And I think yeah. that this is definitely one of the areas where we don't talk about it because it's in like a black market slash illegal part of the economy. But yeah. there are people in this every day. So, let's start off with. What kind of people back when you were dealing drugs did you interact with? I'm sure it wasn't just like TV degenerates. Who were you speaking with? On the user end of things, most people are very normal. You're like the, the media likes to portray people that use drugs as CD, undesirable individuals, where it is really the polar opposite. We're talking like your lawyers, your doctors, your soccer moms, your regular ass business people like it is a the people that you see that are dying of opioid overdoses intent like not i'm not going to say intentionally people who are like heavy users say down in vancouver's downtown east side or really any kind of seedy area of town that actually only makes up a very narrow percentage of the average user we're talking like one in one in ten percent i guess one in 100 people are considered a drug addict whereas they're Nobody's getting accurate stats on who does drugs is very difficult because nobody's going to admit to it. 
like to a statistic to a statistician. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, like I get a bag every weekend. Right. It's not going to happen. The on the user end, things were really mundane. Right. It was I never really had too much to worry about from the people that I was seeing because most of the time people are pretty nervous around the person that is uh, that is selling the drugs because we have the, the the kind of the the reputation of being potentially extremely violent individuals and while that may is that obviously is the case in in some contexts in mine specifically it was just a job it was just me paying my bills like I, I never really ascribed to the to the kind of the gangster lifestyle thing like I didn't play like the flashy shit I learned through my career that if you burned money on say like a really nice vehicle yeah I had the money to do it but that also is in, an indicator that I'm up to no good and losing something like that is a huge hit. So from the user perspective, the average person could be anybody. In fact, I would argue that anybody knows has probably a good 20, 30% chance in indulging in something a little bit harder than marijuana. Right. And, but then as far as on the colleague and the things, obviously things changed. Sure. Um, so let's, let's pause there. We'll talk about that in a second. I just want yeah. to, I want to go over, you, you said a bunch of things there. I wanted to unpack. I'm taking notes like crazy, yeah. but so you said on the user end, it's mostly average people and you gave yeah. an anecdotal stat, right? Because you mentioned that it's hard to get true numbers on who's actually using drugs versus not because the people aren't going to admit it. And I think this parallels all aspects of self-defense. Yeah. Um, and I really want to hammer that down that any any statistic that is based off of shame, right? Yeah. Whether it's drug use, sexual assault, addiction, we're going to not get proper numbers because people yeah. aren't going to want to admit these things, right? Exactly. The other and, thing you said that, oh, sorry, go ahead. You know, here, continue. Yeah, like, uh, no, if you have something to say on that, let's talk about that. It's already left. The, the, the okay. train of thought is <laughs> no left problem. The, the other thing I think that it was really interesting you said was the indicators. We talk about threat assessment a lot in the self-defense world, at least I do, right, on the proactive yeah. side of things. And I like that you mentioned that a fancy, flashy car is an indicator of maybe making more money than most people do, and it draws attention. Can you expand on that a little bit? So there are there are, there are different schools of thought. Like the people who are um, in it for the lifestyle are will typically splurge on the the gold and the cars and the nice clothes and the all those things. I don't like to necessarily stereotype, but stereotypes exist for a reason. Sure, sure. And so the the individuals that are able to demonstrate longevity in the industry are the ones that are cruising around in maybe not necessarily beater cars, but cars that you would never look at twice. Camrys. RAV4s, like where, they, where they've successfully removed the ego from it. And that isn't to say that those people don't own nice cars. It's just right. they don't use them in that context. Because if the state never sees you cruising around in anything and you're never arrested and that vehicle searched, then it's really hard for them to necessarily claim that it is a directly from a proceeds of crime. Also, individuals who are intelligent will make it seem on paper that they are relatively normal individuals and it's the guys that are that don't give a fuck about that kind of thing be it like just hey i'm gonna go buy a seventy-five thousand dollar mercedes-benz mm -hmm. with cash and instead of leasing it because they have this perception that they need to demonstrate this 
this image towards the world. And yeah, it's, it's, that's typically a mistake. And those people don't last that long. Going back, so I'm going to tie this back to two things we've already talked about. So going back to the threat assessment part, what you're talking about in the self-defense community, we call like gray manning or blending in. So it's better to be unnoticed than it is to be a big threat or seem like a victim, right? It's better to just go through without anybody clocking you. And I think that's what you're saying here is the ones that in general, because again, everything you say is anecdotal, right? You're just, you're just giving us your experience, but from your experience, the people that make it further in this industry tend to not look like your TV drug dealer, right? Like pimps tend to do really well. They don't look like that cartoon pimp with the velvet suit and the big hat with the feather. I think this also goes back to the initial users. I think when people talk about drug use, they expect that the user is going to look like your genuine crackhead, meth head, right? TV kind of thing. Because so much of our reality is dictated by social media and pop culture, right? So when you said earlier, like kind of you, I, you didn't really say it, but I'm going to paraphrase. Like, I think most people will be shocked by the amount of people in the world that use drugs and they don't look like it, right? Like you said, doctors and lawyers, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, like doc- doctors, lawyers, and nurses yeah. absolutely love to party sure. because <laughs> A, they have the money to do it. Right. Doctors and nurses especially know the kind of the, like the realistic health risks behind things. Right. And even people with a background in, in pharmacology are very comfortable putting things in their body because they know they're going like, this actually doesn't present the danger to my overall health that the media would say it does right and uh yeah and i've always found that amusing how some of the hardest partying people that i know and have served have been family doctors and lawyers and nurses because the habit costs it it's cost money right it's recreational money that they're going to use so either a disposable income or getting income because of course we always paint especially in self-defense the very right wing view of self-defense most of the self-defense community is very right yeah. so they're like oh all these drug users have no money so they got to rob you for it i'm not saying that no. doesn't happen but no. the entire proceeds of drugs is definitely not just people selling stolen cell phones right yeah no that's the, that is a very narrow percentage mm-hmm. of the average user and i'm not going to say if you're walking in a downtown urban locale that the guy that's twitching all over the place that looks like he hasn't eaten in a few days, whose eyes are big at dinner plates. Yeah, that, that person does present an unpredictable risk because yeah. their lives have progressed to such a point where they're like really their only thought is the base levels of, of human survival. It's just like, when am I going to, where am I going to sleep tonight? When am I going to get my next fix? And maybe I can get some food. Those people can be very desperate, but there's also red resort to violence, um, especially depending on the substance that they do, the more life-ruining ones, are like meth, crack, heroin, fentanyl, those users can be very unpredictable and very violent. That being said, there are still totally functional users of those substances right. that have had those habits for a very long time. Like, like there, I've met people who have functional businesses. There's a, I'm not going to say the name of the business, but there's a, there, I don't know if it's still, but there was a an individual who ran a very large roofing company and his drug of choice was crack. Mm-hmm. And he drove an extremely nice vehicle. He right. wore very nice clothes. And through a, a brief conversation that I had with him once, he said, he's, yeah, some people's thing is weed. Some people's thing is booze. Mine is crack. And yeah. I started up this roofing company because I love smoking crack. 
And he was like, but I also, I've got a wife and a kid and kids every weekend. I'm, I'm home during the week most of the time, but then over the, over the weekend, I will just check myself in a hotel and I will smoke myself absolutely stupid right. because that's his thing. But he is still, he pays taxes. He runs a, a functional business. He has a family and even to the same extent, heroin users too. Heroin is, it's destructive from a social perspective, but from an actual like harm to the body mm-hmm. perspective, it's not that bad. If Because there are people who have been seasoned heroin users for the last number of decades, and they're able to completely manage their addiction. And so when you see the, again, like the, the seediest elements of, of the population, those are people who, where addiction has intersected with mental health. Right. And I would argue that the addiction is definitely a problem, but it's more so the mental health struggles that they face that cause them to be unpredictable and violent or such thing. Because if somebody has existing schizophrenia and they've fallen through the cracks of society and they're, they've got into using meth or fentanyl and, and that has just exacerbated those existing mental conditions, then it's then like if they can't get a fix or they're hungry and their body is shutting down and they're not in their right minds and they like literally just hypothetically here they think they're fighting a dragon sure but really that's a a soccer mom with her kids trying to get from the the grocery store door to her van so they don't even know what they're doing that being said some people are completely cognizant and are just violent assholes i'm not saying that addiction is is this get out of accountability free card but mental health definitely or like mental health issues definitely play a role in in how somebody will act but there's like i said you have function you even have functional fentanyl users right it's it's a lot harder to manage but it does exist and i think so it would have to be right and this is where i think people's logic breaks down a little bit in order for the drug dealer to be successful the business is based off repeat customers right yes so If there wasn't functional users that were good, repetitive customers, there would be no business. If it was just homeless people and and addicts on the street, there would be no money in it. There has to be regular users, right? Yeah, exactly. And that is something that people think, oh, it's only the people on the street use drugs. So no, like you have the business owner dad who got into smoking crack in the 80s when it was like a popular thing to do. And he's still doing that. Or the raver mom who got into meth in the 90s who still will do who still will indulge and does meth on the occasional weekend when she goes out and her friends like not every meth user is going to be like this scabbed up jaw grinding like skinny like it's it is it can be very functional and same thing with cocaine cocaine is not this necessarily Actually, Wolf of Wall Street is pretty accurate. Wolf of Wall Street is pretty accurate. All right, that's it's, good. I like that. Yeah, it's uh, from a how people, like how arrogant can make people. But look, you're looking at, like I said, doctors, lawyers, maybe not while they're on shift. But if you, a funny anecdote, a guy that popularized the that like 36, 48 hour long medical overwatch thing, he was high on fucking cocaine the entire time. He was injecting it. So that's where he was just like, he's like, I'm conducting science. Everybody should be able to do this. No, dude, you're just, you're injecting cocaine directly into your bloodstream because you want to see the effects. And he didn't realize that he was addicted or maybe he didn't want to admit it, but that this is somebody who was a commanding force in developing that 
that methodology of going, you need to be around patients for 48 hours so you can see any development in their condition and you need to be on it. But you talk to anybody going, hey, do you think you can be on it for 48 hours straight in a high stress environment, like a hospital watching over multiple patients? I'm sorry, the only way that you can do that is a stimulant that is way past coffee. Right. So it's, yeah, it's one of those like society likes to frame drug users as like these, these degenerates, but it's anything but, and you are right. Like a job, like the, the job revolves around people who are repeat good customers with money to burn. And while the homeless population, certainly are, some of them are repeat customers. They don't really have the money to burn. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I, I, and I very deliberately did not engage in, in the sale of the more life-ruining substances like mm-hmm. meth, crack, heroin, fentanyl, I would argue GHB and pharmaceuticals carry the same risk. I was more so like the party ones, but, and I didn't, and I del- very deliberately did not involve myself with the, the more at-risk population. So of, let's uh, expand on that. So that's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show. And I really want to put a spotlight on that is yeah. you chose to deal with the, the drugs that you deemed were less life-ruining, like you just said, right? Yeah. So you were choosing to, and you, if I remember from our conversations off of this, you chose it for two reasons. One, because obviously it just felt better not to ruin people's lives. And number yeah. two is because the clientele that you had were just yeah. safer clientele to deal with. Yes? Exactly. Exactly. And like even the... When you do deal with life-ruining substances, and that's what I, I personally call them that. And um, what, what are those life-ruining substances? One more time. I know you um, said them, but just yeah. so people get um, this chunk of it. Or for like meth, a TikTok clip. <laughs> yeah, the life-ruining substances are meth, crack, heroin, fentanyl, and typically pharmaceutical drugs. I throw GHB in there too, and users that love it will be angry with me. But in my experience, GHB was used a lot of times to date rape. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It can be called liquid love. And in that context where you have a bunch of consenting parties, it can be, it's wonderful for one sex life. However, it's because of the risk of it being used as a date rape substance by people who would be, who would have those intentions. I never, I never, like, I I just didn't want to carry it because I knew too many people who had been drugged with it. And mm-hmm. I had also talked with bro dudes who had been like, oh yeah, man, let's just get some G and get these chicks G'd out and in the mood. I'm just like, oh, so you are joking about date rape. Right. Cool, sweet. I don't want to facilitate that. And, and I'm sure that there, you'll have watchers too going like, oh, he's not including cocaine in that? What the fuck? Yeah, so what did what were the drugs you deemed were okay or not life ruiners? Because well, to me, not, cocaine's a party drug most of the time. So go ahead. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm going to say. I'm going to say less impactful. Okay. Like yeah, that. less impa- impactful because obviously any substance to in excess can have a very negative effect on somebody's life, including weed. Right. Oh yeah, um, I get it. Yeah, for me it was cocaine, ketamine, acid, mushrooms, weed. That's yeah, pretty much it. But there's. <sighs> With blow specifically, it was a, people would be like, oh, my dad ruined our lives by, and all he would do is just like do an eight ball every day. Again, that's a very narrow, like, you know, right. subsection of, of people who, who would do that. And like, I would say that the average cocaine user is probably just a weekend warrior where they're spending a hundred bucks on a Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. And they'll, and then that's pretty much it they'll go with their friends they'll go drinking they'll do a few bumps it'll last until saturday night 
Maybe they'll have a little bit left over, but they're responsible enough to go to their job the next day or go to their job on Monday. Um, of course, there are people who are frequent daily users, but I I found that the, the frequent daily users, they would actually order less because it was more of a functional thing. So there's a housewife and she'd call about once every two or three days mm-hmm. and she'd just literally use it to clean. Like she just cut a few lines up and she'd clean her house. And like her, her husband's, when he was around, they'd order MDMA. Oh, and that's the other one, MDMA. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd order MDMA and they'd do couple stuff with it. So right. it's, and you got to really try with blow to ruin your fucking life. Like you have to have a lot of resources. You have to have the time. You also have to have kind of that, the be, be able to delude yourself that you're able to function quote unquote with it but past a certain point it's like when you drink too much coffee it's it starts losing its effectiveness and you're just drinking it to drink it i have no Um, idea what you're talking about as i sit my third (laughs) coffee for today (laughs) exactly so it's it's one of those things where it's just six to one half a dozen the other yes cocaine can be detrimental to the life but for the most part it's one of those things that's just a weekend party substance for people and the impacts that it has on the body are significantly less than say even booze like boo like people don't like to admit it but like liquor is not we're not talking about crack meth or fentanyl because those are actually really bad on the body but booze is hand over fist terrible i wanted to talk about booze just for a second because you're actually like it's almost like you're reading my notes as you're talking so this is going so (laughs) well when you talked about people who use less but more often there's yeah. a lot of alcoholics that are like that, right? They're, they yeah. ha- they only buy a 40 every week, but they're literally drunk the whole day. And they're, yeah. they're rationing it out, right? They're having a two shots at breakfast and a shot at lunch. And then, yeah. right? So, like, they do the math because it's so part of their life that they start rationing it. Unlike a binge drinker where we all say, oh, that person's an alcoholic because they drank all weekend. I'm not saying they're not. But we yeah. don't talk about the person that has six beers every freaking night just to not lose it on his wife or his kids or whatever and i think that's a very interesting distinction to make is that everybody thinks it's like the scene from scarface with the table full of cocaine when most of these users are there they're rationing it out so they can get that longevity of the altered state right yeah exactly and like health canada just released this study where they said even two standard drinks a week will have negative long-term effects on the mind and body you and I think do. that's why this conversation is so poignant is because alcohol is going through. It feels like alcohol is going through the same cycle that smoking went through. The kids are not into drinking. Hey, I, I don't even drink anymore. It's crazy. I just stop. And not because I'm like trying to be clean. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the same. I'm in the same boat, man. I don't mind going out once every four to six weeks. But then that going out will remind me why I don't do it every friggin' weekend or when I was in my early twenties, I'd be blackout for oh God, like more days than not. That was also when I was like I was extremely unhealthy both mentally and physically. And I never want to return to that. And the how popularized and normalized booze is kind of it's an addictive of a, a liquor lobby that really pushes just hey how hey this is fine. You have a hard day at work, you know, crack open crack open a bud with the boys that like everybody remembers that that commercial from the 90s yeah (laughs) unfortunately yes yeah yeah and uh, (laughs) and and you have all of these different liquor companies that push their wares but if you were just like 
if you had the Surgeon General's warning or whatever on booze going, hey, this will cause cancer, this will cause dementia, this will cause Alzheimer's, this will cause diabetes, this will cause obesity. Right. And it's not like a might, it's will. Yeah. And some people are just like, oh, like my insert family member here is fine. And I'm like, yeah, now. Right. But then if let's see what happens when they actually die. And then the doctor goes, hey, you know what? Their liver was filled with holes. So was their brain. And their heart was the size of a basketball. And we can directly attribute this to their liquor consumption. Right. So yeah, they might last for a number of years, but they're doing so poorly. Yeah. And like my grandfather, he's despite being a terrible person, he's been a, he's been sober as a judge for the last number of decades. He's close to 100. And while his body isn't doing the best, cause he didn't, he wasn't necessarily the most active person, but mentally he's entirely there. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's, he's a little bit deaf in one ear and he might be going a little bit, but his brain is totally fine. Yeah. And had he kept up with a degree of physical activity, I'm sure that he'd be in far better shape than he is in now. But I, I think he has lasted so long mentally and, it, and has the clarity and he's very sharp because he didn't drink the way that his peers did. Whereas the grandfather on my other side, uh, he's, he's got a liquor cabinet that most bars would be jealous of. And he's always tossed in some way, shape, or form. And when he's obese, he's a walking sphere. He's very churlish and That's angry. A good word. Yeah. And and an angry and easily irascible yeah. individual. And yeah, like I can remember my entire life. Just, go get a beer. Go get right. a beer. So it's it's yeah, it's I don't know. Like booze is by far the worst. And I and I will agree that the world is waking up to that. It seems for sure. All right, let's end yeah. it right there. That is a perfect place to end the free podcast. This is most likely going to be two parts. We've been chatting for quite a while. Jack, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. No problem. Helping our listeners understand this a lot more. Obviously, you're anonymous. So you have nothing to promote. I will be doing some quick promotion. Like I mentioned, obviously, the old book, Selling Electric Level Comfort, is out. New online course coming out July in tandem with a book coming out in July. Still leaving the title in the winds because it's not done yet. I don't want any of you fuckers to steal it from me. So yeah. uh new book, new course coming out. Don't forget to jump over to Patreon. We're putting up new classes all the time and we're going to share some stories. And just to tease, I'm also going to add a story where I, where ketamine was involved. because it was mentioned. <laughs> so if you want to hear the stories from Jack and a story about something I have experienced and seen, jump over to patreon.com, Randy King live. And that's on the $5 level. Yeah. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you next week. Cool.